Hi, I'm Janny. And hi, I'm Nikki. And we'd like to welcome you to Pocket Talk. Hi and welcome. And today we're going to be thinking a little bit more about the connection between psychotherapy and spirituality. And how spirituality has deepened our whole understanding as psychotherapists of what this human journey is all about. So let's start at the beginning. Why do we go and see a therapist in the first place? Why do we end up in a a therapist's consulting room? Mm. Well, I guess usually it's because we've become... We've become stuck, and often the story, you know, I think probably both of us here is that we're we're, we're stuck in a pattern, we're going round in circles, mm-hmm. we're doing the same things, seemingly getting the same experiences over and over again, and, um, you know, it may be that it's come to a head or there's been the final straw that's broken the camel's back that brings people into therapy. Yeah, I think that's right, the stuckness and, you know, the wanting to understand just what's going on mm-hmm. and... And we observe those habits and those loops we get into and we think, why am I here again? Why am I doing this again? Or why is this showing up in my life again? Mm. And I I think, you know, I think it's also helpful to say that, of course, in order to become therapists, we also have been in that place. We've also been Mm. on that journey and and sat in the therapist chair facing our issues, facing facing the, the areas that maybe have been really difficult for us in our you know in our lives yeah so we've all been on that that journey ourselves and mm. had to do lots of facing up to things and mm. you know parts of ourselves that were a bit uncomfortable or painful things that we just didn't understand and i think mm. you know having done that work helps you maybe see a little bit more clearly what's going on for other people at times mm. and i think you can't do this job without um you know we can't do this job without having done that work you know it's it's because we've done that work because we faced our own issues that um that we can be of help to somebody else and i think you know what that work involves which is why we what we're really you know that's the question we're asking isn't it is what Mm. that work involves is is basically looking at how the you that you are today has been influenced really profoundly by the you that you've been from the moment you came into this world so all your experiences Mm. big and small um it's always amazing to me how um well I think not to me because I expect it but to clients how seemingly really tiny incidents Mm. that they wouldn't really think were that significant at all actually have had a profound effect on them yes absolutely i mean and often you know i have find myself having to explain to people that it's it's um who who are maybe feeling a bit guilty that they've come and that they've um they're wasting my time and that they nothing very serious has happened to them but that actually it's it's the minority of people who've had something really extreme and actually that many people who end up in the therapist chair there because um there are things that have happened that um, might be deemed as apparently normal to uh, you know people around them or society but actually as, as therapists we know that mm-hmm. those things can be can cause problems can be traumatic <coughs> and I think the other thing that people worry about is that 
um, to start to talk about their past or their childhood or their background is, is somehow to get involved in blaming people. Mm. And, and actually, it's really not that at all. You know, for every single one of us, we do the best we can at the time we're trying to do it. And we yeah. couldn't ever have done anything different mm. at those times. So it's never, yeah. ever about pointing the finger of blame at somebody. It's just trying to understand cause and effect. You know, how has that affected you? Um, how do you still carry it? How do you still act it out? Why is it still something that you struggle with or keeps popping up in your life? Mm. Yes, that's that's a big one, isn't it? The, yeah. the sense of guilt, the sense that somehow um, people come and they may want to talk about things that have happened to them, but they, they've also got maybe other voices in their heads saying that um, it's wrong to, um, you know, to, to, to say anything that's seemingly critical of, of a, a parent or um, of other family members. There can be a lot of taboo about that. Um, and, and that's a difficult one. And I think sometimes it's really important and, and often has to be spoken that it isn't about blame. It's sometimes about responsibility. Yeah. But, yeah. but not really about blame because each of us comes into the world with our own set of issues and we can only see what we can see at, at mm -hmm. any given moment. And to the product of our own upbringing and it goes back and back and back, doesn't mm. it? There, mm. there can't be blame mm. uh, anywhere in this. But I think, I think that it has to start, you know, the journey of I'm stuck, this keeps happening, I keep feeling this way fundamentally I'm not happy I'm not happy and I want to feel different and I want my life to be different mm -hmm. we can't do that without understanding how we've got to where we are yes and that it's really important to look back sometimes in order to see what shaped and formed us because I think those are you know I think those are the challenges that we come into this life with mm -hmm. And I think, you know, both you and I, having steeped ourselves in psychotherapy uh, thinking and then having been bowled over by more recent spiritual thinking, mm. um, have taken on board not just that our past influences our present, but that actually we, we come in because it's meant to, mm. because that is our journey that's the journey of this lifetime we we choose the setup we choose the characters we choose the roles we choose the flaws we choose the beginnings mm -hmm. um, and they set the scene for the story that's going to be our lifetime um, mm. and the characters and the characters of our lifetime yes yes I wonder if it might be helpful to say a bit, bit um, initially about how it is that um, looking at our stuckness in psychotherapy helps us become unstuck. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that is fundamental in psychotherapy training is understanding that everything that happens between therapist and client in the room is also going to be happening out there in the world mm -hmm. and is also a very, very clear indication of what used to happen or has happened back then so mm. you know the example I would use is a, a client um, rings my doorbell cl comes in um, wipes their feet 
loads and loads of times and then says, I, I think I should take my shoes off because mm. they're dirty. <laughs> and, you know, that seems like just an ordinary thing. But most mm. people come in, wipe their feet two, three times, walk in with their shoes on. Mm. So here immediately you've got somebody who's worried about um, messing up your home. Yes. Um, bringing their mess, their dirt mm. in. And upsetting you. And upsetting you. Um, are you going to be cross? Are you going to think badly of them? Mm. They're really worried about the impression they're making on you. Yes. And immediately you've got a little child of three or four walking into your consulting room who was taught to be really worried about what other people thought mm. and mm. and to not make a mess of things. Yes, and that that's being repeated. Um, that's being repeated now as an adult, but that adult is going to be really unconscious of um, what the source of that issue is. They just believe that um, they have a belief that um, you know we should we should be polite. We shouldn't um, we shouldn't make a mess. We, you know we should look after other people, and that will all seem really normal to them. Yes, and it's only when um, a therapist points that out that that that's what they've just done. Mm. That. Um, well, we all do, don't we? we? We look at our therapist in utter amazement, but that's what I always do. Mm. Um, and then, and then, it begins to dawn in a aha kind of way. Yes. Oh, maybe other people don't do that. Yeah. Maybe that's saying something about what I've learned. Mm. Perhaps that's part of my stuckness mm. that I, I have to be careful around people, and I worry what people say. I have to keep taking my shoes off so that they don't see the mess I might bring in. Yes, yes. So how about we talk a bit about the unconscious and we go back to that um, client stroke little boy, four or five, who's just walked into my consulting room and sat down having taken his shoes off. And we talk about the unconscious in relation to that. Um, because this little boy of four or five is feeling in his body um, sensations that tell him, if we help him to notice, that his unconscious is around. Mm. So he's sitting in my chair in the consulting room and he's feeling anxious, he's feeling a bit ashamed, he's scrutinising me and wondering what I'm thinking about him. Mm. And and if I asked him what he was feeling in his body in that moment, he would be feeling all the sensations, all the panic, all the anxiety that that little boy of four or five used to feel. And that's where our unconscious is held. It's held in our body. Mm. Um, it's held as bodily sensations. It's there in our cellular memory. And the way that we learn to know that our unconscious is around and that we're acting something out yeah. that comes from our past is that we feel those bodily sensations. They are our emotional GPS, if you like. They're our mm. signal that something's going on that is happening now but has a huge overtone to it that's coming at us from the past. Mm, yes, and it's learning to recognise... Um, well, first of all, well, I think one of the most complicated things can be even to just tune into those feelings, to start to become aware of them. And and for some people even to have help to make sense of what 
those physical sensations, how they equate to, you know, a particular feeling, a particular emotion. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the whole issue of feelings is we we don't necessarily know what feelings are. Mm. You know, we very often um, say to each other, what are you feeling? And the answer will come back, well, I'm thinking that it's quite late and I ought to be leaving. Yes, and, yes. And so we, we answer the question, what are you feeling, with what am I, you know, what, this is what I'm thinking. Yes. And, and that's just a, an indication of how far away from what we're actually feeling we've gone. Yes. We're living in our head. And that's yeah. part of why we get stuck, of course. We live in our head. Mm. Um, we try to decide what we should do what the right thing to do is, what mm. is expected of us. Mm. And we're no longer thinking, what do I feel? Mm. What do I need? What do I want? Well, I think feelings are a whole lot more scary than, than thoughts. Um, I think emotions and, and feelings are greatly underestimated in terms of their power, but actually I think they're um, enormously powerful mm. and, and I think for, for many of us um, enormously frightening. Mm. I think I think another fear that people have when they start on this journey of looking into themselves is that they feel they're going to come across feelings that are going to be so overwhelming they'll drown in them mm. they won't be able to manage them. Mm. And that a lot of therapy is helping somebody to um, face up and manage and cope with emotion um and to be able to make sense of it and to know that they it, you know it, it won't overwhelm them it won't um it won't cause them mm. to collapse and that it's information mm. Mm. but often there's a a barrier been created to emotion and i think that's often a sign of somebody who's um who's maybe really struggling, who's got something that's a, that's a real difficulty mm. for them, that mm. they can't go near emotion and they've had to put up a barrier towards it. And I think, again, you know, that's often, that's often something that's happened through nobody's fault in mm. childhood. So, you know, if, if our parents were um, emotionally shut down themselves, they didn't know how to help us manage our emotions. Mm. Or maybe we had really over anxious parents over protective parents who who were so um upset and worried by our feelings mm. that that they transmitted to us that feelings were dangerous absolutely and yes. didn't know how to help us contain them yes because it was hard for them to contain their own feelings yes yes and in fact you know one of one of our roles as parents um and you know both Janie and I are, are both parents of um you know, we both have three children each, but one of our roles is is to um, is actually to help a child uh, manage their emotions mm. um, and to to be able to access them and learn and and relate to them, um, and that um, f you know, as Janie said, for whatever reason, sometimes parents aren't able to do that, and then that causes us enormous problems when we're older, because feelings can feel very very frightening, mm. really overwhelming. Or totally inaccessible, like we just don't know what a feeling feels like. Mm. You know, we, we've we've cut our head off from our body, if you like, and yeah. whatever is going on in our body, we, we don't recognise as telling us that a feeling is happening. Mm. So we don't know when we're hungry, we don't know when we're tired and need to stop, even mm. at its most fundamental, mm. we don't know what our body is telling us. Because mm, we've stopped being able to, or we've never learned to be able mm. to tune into those parts of ourselves. 
And I think these things are often re real revelations for us when we get into therapy. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. usually we, we end up in therapy because we've got a bit of a problem mm -hmm. thinking about what it is we're feeling, needing, mm -hmm. uh, wanting. We're stuck because we don't know how to begin to work that out. Mm. And I think, you know, one of the other things that often people present with is, is anxiety. Mm. And and anxiety is, is often the first, is, is often a, um, a lid or a mask <clears throat> to bubbling emotion that's mm. under the surface. Mm. And the, once we start to be able to access what the emotion is, what the issues are, the anxiety dies away. Mm. I think, you know, I think anxiety... And, and depression, both, mm. are serious um, indicators, really helpful, useful indicators for us so that, you know, when we've had defences in place against remembering or feeling something for a long time, mm. when it starts to come to the surface, we experience enormous anxiety and we think, we, we think that that panic is something, you know, bad, something mm. that... Um, we should be worried about, but actually it's the breaking through of something. Yes. And I think in a similar way with depression, depression is suppressed feeling. It's it's feelings yeah. and experiences we've suppressed. And again, it's, its presence is a good sign. It says we're ready to go somewhere. Yes. I, mean, I think that's a really common perception isn't it you know we don't mm. like to experience anxiety we don't like to experience depression they're not comfortable emotions and yet actually um you know if as, as, a, as a psychotherapist mm. we know that those are actually really positive mm. uh, signals and, and I think we'll talk a bit later about spiritually why they're really important as well um, they're an opportunity uh, and they're often the things that signal us that we need to go and get some help and that we're stuck mm. and, and that there's a journey to go on of, of working out what is going on inside us that isn't OK. Mm. Mm. So I think it might be helpful for us to give some examples maybe of, um, you know, the sort of issues that people might present with, the sort of stories that they come with and the way that presents and how we work through it in therapy. And have you got anything that you might well, be able how, to share? How about how about um, how about we talk about somebody who could be any one of us? Uh, lots of us will know this place. So how about we call this person? Let's call her Karen. Mm -hmm. And let's say that Karen um, is a really sociable, outgoing, um, friendly woman. She's in her uh, she's in her early forties mm -hmm. and. To look at Karen from the outside, you would think she had lots and lots of friends. Mm. Um, but if you if you watched with more detail, you would notice that um, several things keep happening in Karen's life. So firstly, mm. you'd notice that if any friend started to need her too much or lean on her too much, she would gradually withdraw from that friendship. Mm. And if one of her friends um, moved to another part of the country... Karen would say she would stay in touch, but actually every time she went to pick up the phone or to write a text, she would feel something in her body and she wouldn't do it. Mm. And and if we were to meet Karen in therapy, mm -hmm. we might discover that when Karen was a little girl, she suffered a period of um, separation mm. from 
um, her mum or her dad, somebody really important to her. Yes. And that throughout her adult life, whenever somebody begins to be important or significant to her, she has to break off the contact. She has to break off the relationship. Mm. And it's as if she is anticipating how bad it's going to feel when she loses somebody else. Yes. And so she makes it happen. So she avoids it. Yeah. And she actually um, ends relationships rather than allow the any any form of ending. Yeah. And to and to allow herself to experience the feelings and the loss of that. And she's likely also probably to to break off therapy early too. Mm-hmm. You know that thing about in here, mm. everything that happens in here is an indication of what happens out there, mm-hmm. which tells you what happened back then. Yes. Um, the whole thing is going to get replayed. Yes, and that it's all a repeat, and that it's a repeat of the of the first story, and the story for Karen would have been the immensity um, of the loss at a time when she was too young and too little to be able to cope with it. Yeah. And, and often I think that... Those kinds of losses are, are often quite early. Yes. Sometimes in the first five years of mm. a child's life. And, and I think the really important bit is to re- remember is that the younger we are, the less able we are to cope, the less we understand, the more things become overwhelming. Yeah, we don't have language. You know, mm. we, we, we manage feelings more easily as grown-ups because we can put them into words. Mm. Even if we're not saying them out loud, we can think in our head in words. Mm. But for a child where there's something happened pre-verbal, yes. um, th- there is only bodily sensation, there's only bodily memory. Mm-hmm. And an acting out of something, like a knowing that you must cut off contact, mm. but not knowing why. Mm. In terms of psychotherapy, um, the work with Karen would begin the day Karen decides that she wants to leave therapy, Mm. Um, right in the middle of the work going well, right in the middle of a relationship being built together that feels really strong. Mm. Um, Because that would be the really scary bit for Karen. That would be the scary bit Mm. because the therapist is becoming important to Karen Mm -hmm. and Therapy isn't going to last for a lifetime. Yes. And so all those fears of losing somebody and the grief that you're going to feel Mm -hmm. would now be right there available at the surface to work with. Yes, and at its most acute um, and most painful. And that's the very time when those that that unconscious um, young part of Karen would be um, most active, most frightened, most uh, likely to want to get up and run. And I think that's that's where the therapy relationship comes into its own because just like all the research says, you know, what makes the difference is the relationship. Mm. You know, it doesn't really matter about the model, it doesn't really matter about the mode, mm. it doesn't really matter particularly about the gender necessarily mm. of the therapist. What matters is the strength of the relationship. Yes. And I guess that's where the turning point happens, that's where the change starts to happen, that mm. someone realises here is somebody that you can trust 
who you can have a different kind of experience with. Mm. And who can hold all of that for you. Um, you know, who who can um who can bear the degree of um of grief and and in that grief will be all sorts of feelings of sadness, of anger, of frustration, of it's not fair, of um you know, and, and that, that all of that will have to be worked out between the two of you and and in surviving that and being able to cope with that that is how as a therapist you are of benefit to I think that's so important I think I think what you've just said about surviving that is really important the discovery that you can be angry with the therapist Mm. and the therapist isn't going to make you go and show you the door you can be you can be disappointed with the therapist and you can um you can share your grief that they're not going to be in your life forever Mm. and that the therapist can hold that but hold the hope for you that it will have been enough it will have been enough and that healing will have happened Mm. because it's rare that we experience that kind of uh emotional journey with somebody else out there you know for, for for most people you know they avoid those kinds of feelings or they're upset by those kinds of feelings and so often it is only in therapy um that we can dare to go to those places and and that's only with the help of our therapist because we have to be enabled to do that mm. and it's really about it's really about enabling somebody to be able to go there and know that they can survive it, that both of you can survive it and that you can work through to a very mm. different place. And I think, you know, I think there's there's been lots of research, hasn't there, that has shown that people going into therapy have a very different view of life and relationship from people who are coming out the end of therapy. Mm. Um, and I, me- I remember a friend of mine doing a piece of research years ago mm. um, about people's views of, you know, God or the universe or fate or whatever. And that right. after um, after coming out of therapy, people had a very, you know, much more um, kinder, more benign view of mm. life, the universe, God, mm. uh, all that is, whatever you might call mm. it. But... But actually, that I think that psychotherapy is often a first step towards further spiritual growth. Absolutely. And that there's an opening, um, an opening up to other possibilities. I think that when we're, when we're in our much more raw you know, state, that we're very closed, we can be very insular. Um, we have to hold ourselves in that place because the world's maybe been really frightening, really tough really scary for us and on our survival mode um, has has actually protected us you know we've had to go into that insular place we've had mm-hmm. to protect ourselves and acquire the sort of defenses we needed in our little in our younger years yeah. um, but actually psychotherapy is a process where we can start to be able to slowly let go of some of those experiences and and, and as we start to become less insular less protective of ourselves then the world and and other other spiritual possibilities open up and we open up to them because i think our heart opens up Mm. you know i I think our heart is the part of us as you you know you're referring to uh, our our protecting ourselves. i think it's our heart that we protect and it's it's our heart that we close down and i think when we've come through um 
the experience of a relationship that's so strong that nothing will break it mm. and where another human being has been able to hold the hope for us that we can survive mm. and that life can be okay, then our heart does open up and we come out the other side of therapy mm. uh, ready for everything that life's got to mm. to offer us and throw at us. It's like we're looking through um, a very different um, set of lenses at the world. You know, when we're, when we're in our raw state, we're, we're looking through the lenses at the world as, as, as young, frightened children often, and that once we've been able to um, steady and, um, and grieve maybe the things that have, have happened to us when we're young, we're able to, we no longer have to look at the world through the, the eyes of, mm. the, of the, the, the little person we were at four, at five, at six, whatever, and that we start to see the world quite differently. It's not the frightening place um, that we knew when maybe we were young. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think what you were saying about the lens that we see the world through, I think it's really important to know that that child part of us um, isn't left behind there. You know, we have no. lots and lots of parts of us. Mm. We have the part that knew this. We had the part that lived that. We have the part that remembers that. You know, a smell, a voice, a place mm. can take us back to being three, being eight, being 14 all over again. Mm. Um, mm. And our entire body feels that age. The sensations in our body yeah. are part of that complete memory of what happened then. Mm. And we suddenly find ourselves speaking and acting uh, and feeling exactly like we did back then. Yes. And I know you and I call those things memory feelings, yes. don't we? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and they're incredibly powerful. And when, and, and I guess for most people, pre-therapy, those things happen and we don't realise they're happening. It's an unconscious filter that we, we look through and we don't realise is there. And, you know, part of therapy is about embracing those younger parts of ourselves. It's that they certainly don't get left behind. But be those parts of ourselves get to have a voice, um, and and gradually we start to embrace and in, incorporate those parts of ourselves, and so we, we recognise and we know when we're starting to look through um, the lens of the the, the, mm. the us that we were when we were ten or four or whatever age something difficult happened to us. And I think you know I think pre therapy we tend to feel a bit ashamed, a bit awkward mm. um, about those places those parts of us mm. that we often call the shadow side yeah. and I think like you've said when we start to integrate them we feel more compassion for them mm. and I think in feeling more compassion for ourselves mm. and for those parts of us we we actually grow in compassion for the rest of our human fellow human beings mm. as well yes yes So now maybe it's worth saying something about how psychotherapy meets spirituality in, in the way that you and I now think about mm. the work that we do and, yeah. you know, the world and the universe in general. Because you and I are both women who have trained as psychotherapists and, and been yeah. doing that work for a long time, mm -hmm. but also have both been through a spiritual awakening process. Yes, big shock. Big, <laughs> big time, big time, bolt between the eyes. Yeah. And um, and and that you know that what we want to do in these in these programs is to 
you know, share our excitement really about the way the two inform each other. Mm. And mm. yes, because, you know, I suppose I've not, I've been a, a trainer as well as a, as a, as a psychotherapist in, in, in many, over many years. And so I've come across lots of people who, um, families who were managing people who were very distressed and, um, and one of the, th- the, the bits of information I gleaned from those experiences was how desperate people were for this information. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you're right because they they would, you know, you've told me, haven't you, that they mm. they would people would say to you, why isn't this out there? Why mm. isn't this on the TV? Why isn't this on the radio? Yeah. Why is nobody telling us this stuff? Because mm. we know that there's libraries full of it. Yes, yes, and it's like we were the secret society. Yes, I mean, I think there's libraries full of psychotherapy information. There's libraries full of spiritual, uh, you know, books. But there's and there are people out there talking about the bridge, but I think there's not many. Yeah. And I think it's this what we're hoping to do in these talks is to be able to create some sort of bridge between the two, make it meaningful, um, because it, it is meaningful. There is a reason that these two th- and these two things are joined. Oh, it's mind blowing the way the two inform each other. Mm. So you know, you go back to Karen, and 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 you go one step further beyond looking at the experiences that have made Karen the character that she is now. Let's mm. let's say that, because, mm. of course, really, Karen is a, a very powerful being of light and love. Yes. Karen is source energy who yeah. has incarnated um, for the experience of a, a human lifetime. Yes. And so Karen has set all that in motion. Yes. Karen's decided, together with her mum and her dad and everybody else that she's going to meet, mm-hmm. how this adventure is going to go. Yes, that it's all been predetermined. Yeah, predetermined. Pre-agreed. Set up mm-hmm. um, and, and then roll cameras, let let it, let it play out. Play out, really. Yes. Um, and that the part that psychotherapy plays is that is that the difficulties play out and the way that we return to it to, to the to the source energy that we really are the way that the way that we are able to access that place again is by working through the difficulties that we've we've incarnated on this earth um to experience and the fear the fear that mm. they um produce in us mm. so to go from being fear-based to love to love and and to remember the loving being that we are absolutely yes yeah. and and so I, I guess you know we've said that in a bit of a bumbling way but, <laughs> but that's what we're intending to do yeah and um this has been a taste and this has been a first go yeah that we really hope you've enjoyed it yes and that you know um we hope that we'll be able to to you know to do more sessions where we talk about maybe the different sorts of issues that um people might be struggling with um and 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 how that all connects up spiritually with the with the the people that, that you know that the essences that we really are um and how we negotiate those kind of troubles yeah. those difficulties to find a different place and to find our way back to remembering who we really are and you know, the extent of our power, the, the extent of our ability to manifest the life we want once we find our way back to love. Yes. Yes. Well, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> and we'll okay. talk to you again soon. <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> Bye for now.
You've been listening to Pocket Talk with Nikki and Janny. If you have things you'd particularly like us to talk about, general questions or thoughts you'd like to ask or share, you can private message Janny and I via the Facebook page, The Therapist in My Pocket, www.facebook.com forward slash TT in my pocket. Or you can email us directly at thetherapistinmypocket at gmail.com. You can listen to me, Janny Judley, on YouTube and SoundCloud as Janny Judley, the therapist in my pocket. And you can follow me, at Janny Judley, on Twitter and on Instagram. My latest book, Dances Amongst the Stars, is available on Amazon. And you can read more at www.thetherapistinmypocket.com. Janny's also a regular columnist with Elephant Journal and is writing for Kindred Spirit UK. If you'd like to read her pieces, you can find her as Janny Judley on www.elephantspirituality.com. For now, thanks so much for your company and for showing up here to share this space with us. We look forward very much to receiving your thoughts and questions and suggestions and to sharing many interesting and helpful discussions tips and explanations to help us all on our spiritual journeys. Thank you for listening to Pocket Talk.